you know, I think one of the most important women in my life was uh, my grandmother, who I absolutely never met. Um, her name was Walterine. Uh, I hear a lot of stories about her from every description. She was uh, quite the alcoholic. She was uh, not always working, and she dealt with a world of different issues throughout her life. So what that meant in many ways was that you know, they didn't grow up as a nuclear family unit. And so those of us who came later really never got that same nuclear family idea that I think a lot of other people know. And what that's meant to me is that my community has always actually ended up being more important because it's it's like family to me, although I don't go talk to and hug everybody, but it ends up being something important. Welcome to the Paris of the Plains from Kansas City, I'm Matt Hodap. One of my favorite authors, Colin McCann, he wrote in his novel Transatlantic that we return to the lives of those who have gone before us, a perplexing Mobius strip, until we come home, eventually to ourselves. Well, that's certainly true of city councilman Quentin Lucas, who says that his story was shaped by the decisions of the two most important women in his life. This is a story about how the actions of people in our past, even people we haven't met before, can make us who we are today. This is Quentin becoming himself. So um, I have two older sisters, uh, but I was born in uh, 1984. And the interesting thing, at least that I hear from descriptions, is that uh, we were people that rode the bus all the time. Uh, my mother has, uh, you know, she wasn't married, uh, so a single mother, three children. Uh, and then the other thing is my sisters have a different father than I do, so I uh, never met my father. I think he didn't want to serve too much of a role in my life, and so you had this single woman with an additional child. She didn't really want it. She had no money. She was catching the bus every day, and if you think it's hard to get around Kansas City now, uh, you know, the mid-'80s weren't great. Not to mention in the urban core, um, you know, the crack epidemic was a real thing. Violence was exploding. Not for those reasons, though. Uh, my mother sends me to uh, uh, private school, or at least we look into it. And, uh, you know, I've said this a few times, but I've asked her in the years since, well, why did you, why did you think about me for private school? Did I seem like a, a great philosopher one day in the future and all of that? And she said, no, no, I was just scared you'd get beat up. You know, you, you didn't quite have the strength for <laughs> the public schools that at least she had remembered. And so I went to Barstow School in South Kansas City. And, you know, you, if, when I think of adjustments that I had made in my life, that was probably one of the hardest ones because I was now at a place where every, most were of uh, not only moderate means but very good ones, uh, had strong professional jobs, leaders in their communities, leaders in our city, and uh, it was hard to fit in. I have this interesting life where I would drive from wherever I was living. It was always on the east side of Kansas City to Barstow. That's about 115th and State Line Road. Um, and it was, you know, it was like I would kind of change our world in a way. I woke up in a place that was all black, uh, that the neighborhoods looked different, uh, where... You know, everybody was kind of doing something. I, there'd be, you know, crimes closer to us and all of that. And I was going to this neighborhood sometimes, particularly if I went over to my friends' houses, it might have been in Leewood or Overland Park, that uh, were drastically different. 
you know, it got me too good, at, I think, at living two different lives. And I think when you talk to a lot of people who come from uh, diverse experiences, and by diverse I mean non-white and non-kind of what we would expect a white middle-class kind of upbringing, um, a lot of us do that and can do that. And in many ways it's good. I had a wonderful education. I know a lot of good people and all of that. But you lose something. You know, you lose... You lose some of your community. You lose some of yourself. You know, when I started at Barstow, I still spoke with, as Harry Reid would call it, a Negro dialect, which I still can do. Uh, but I, I actually, and, you know, it makes me feel sad for young me now. I, I was like, I thought it sounded less educated. And so I thought, oh, my God, I have to get, you know, I have to get some of these things out of my speech or else people can tell for some reason that I don't fit in. <laughs> Foolish me, because they could really just look. And then on the other side, you know, there was probably this attendant um, guilt from the fact that every step of the way I had better opportunities than my sisters. I had better, uh, I had a lot more options than a lot of people I lived around. Um, and I think the thing I deal with, and probably others, you, you have this mix of, I want to make money because I'll be the first one in a generation to make money, and then I can, you know, help out a lot of people. And that's something that's shared from, for all races and groups. But then you also felt this kind of challenge, which was that me being here is supposed, to, is supposed to mean something. And it's supposed to mean something more than, yeah, that's a nice guy and he can go on his merry way. Uh, and instead it's you're supposed to have more of an impact and lead more of a life. And so um, there's certainly pressure there. Something interesting happened, which got me to think about my grandmother more when I was in uh, college. I, uh, we, Google was new. I'm not that old, but Google was, was brand new. And so my friends and I were playing this sort of uh, Google yourself game. And back then, you know, you didn't have the same electronic record that you have now. So it actually would only pull up a few things. And for me, I was in a, I was in a Missouri Court of Appeals case. And I thought, I never got arrested for that, right? Uh, <laughs> kidding. Uh, but I saw that I had been uh, a child in this paternity suit. And it was Missouri X. Rel. Lucas, so Missouri on behalf of Quentin Lucas, in essence, versus Wilson. Wilson was uh, my putative father, the man that my mother uh, uh, suggested was my father and had sued for child support. Uh, and so the state of Missouri brings the case. The case is ultimately unsuccessful in Jackson County Circuit Court. It's appealed to the Missouri Court of Appeals. But there was a Missouri rule on the books that tells you how bad laws are bad laws and affect a lot of people, that you needed to file a paternity action within five years of the birth of the child. It's a classic statute of limitations issue. The state of Missouri was trying to say, well, you can't apply a statute of limitations to a paternity action because in a way that's almost like saying that the person actually never has a father and the state can't declare that. That's against science and God and literally everything the state would think of, right? Uh, but unfortunately, the Missouri Court of Appeals says, well, you know, statutes of limitations are statutes of limitations. Uh, we upheld that uh, in a Missouri Court of Appeals opinion as late as I believe that was about 1997 or 8. And so that got me thinking while I was in college. I said, well, gosh, um, how would my mother have ever known that she had to file that action? 
you know, for her, she was somebody who was just surviving, literally surviving every day, getting jobs, trying to do her best by her children, trying to take care of the things that are in front of her and not spending every day thinking about, well, what legal rights and remedies am I losing all the time? And so I asked her about that uh, and she said, oh, I never knew they even filed an appeal. Uh, she was like, that was nice. But, uh, you know, so we talked about the case a little bit and I said, well, you know, what about your own family? And she went back to talking about Walterine, the grandmother of mine. And, you know, she said, well, yeah, and Walterine dealt with a lot of things. She was, you know, abused a lot and abused by a lot of men. Uh, and then at some point in her life, she had followed a man to Los Angeles uh, and then live ultimately. And she married a man who was abusive and troubling and all of that. And my mother said, yeah, the, the police would come by and... And we try to say, well, are you going to do something about it? And, and they said, no, can't can't do anything about it. And they're married, and you know, it's she's the wife, and he's the husband, and she's not pressing charges, and that's the way it is. And so eventually, you know, my I think my grandmother dies an untimely death at about the age of forty. Uh, my mother uh, finds a way to get back to Missouri, uh, and frankly, never I think went back to California for another probably twenty five years, but. All that stuff, and when I think about Kansas City, when I think about what I do in Kansas City, it's not in politics or in my teaching or anything like that. It's more about what can I do? I, I can't provide legal services to everybody, but what can we do to make people think they have opportunities, to get people to search out those opportunities, to care, to know that there's a society that cares about them? I mean, I guess the thing that defines who I am is the opportunities or the lack of opportunities that these women, one in my life, my mother, but one who was never in my life, but I guess just played some role in it, my grandmother, uh, the opportunities they didn't have, the opportunities for somebody to protect them, the opportunities for somebody to say you matter and we care about you and you can do something special too. Not just that, you know, you have too many children, be ashamed of yourself or you know, find some sort of man who can support you and that's the only way you can survive. Or, um, you know, this is just your lot in life. Deal with it. And, uh, you know, that's that's what keeps me going uh, because I realize most days that, and it's going to sound so cliche and I know it, but I am just very lucky. You know, people say, well, no, you were talented and your family worked hard. You know, maybe but not harder than a lot of other people. You know, heck, because of perceived weakness, you know, I end up in a private school, a very expensive one, for a period of 10 years. And then because of that, right, I got the golden ticket to then go on this path of expensive elite private universities that then give me opportunities to see the world and bigger places, and that positions who I am to have perspective now. Okay, well, that's, that's great for me. And I guess it's great if there are others right now who are going through that same path. But what about Walterine, you know, and what about my mother? Are we always going to say that there has to be a two-generation kind of fix for things? And that, well, just wait 40 years, one of your grandchildren will have a good opportunity. Uh, and so um, that's something that I'll probably never forget and it's informed pretty much the rest of my life.
Thanks to City Councilman Quentin Lucas for sharing his story with us. Paris of the Plains is recorded at KCUR 89.3, Kansas City's NPR station. Paris of the Plains is a production of Fountain City Frequency, a podcast network dedicated to telling Midwest stories. You can find their other podcasts at fountaincityfrequency.com. From Kansas City, I'm Matt Hodap. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.